says the train's lost. How can a train be lost? It's on rails. Apparently, we took a wrong turn at some point last night. That's crazy. How far off course are we? Nobody knows. We haven't located us yet. What'd you just say? What? What you just said. Say it again. We haven't located us yet. Ah! Is that symbolic? We haven't located us yet. Where's those feathers at? In the envelope I gave you this morning. Meet me on top of that thing out there. Hello, listening people. Hello. Hello, Bartek. How are you? Good, Ryan. How are you? I'm doing very well today. I ch 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 choose you. Thank you. <laughs> very sullen. Thank you. That's a reference uh, to the Yellow Show, right? Yeah, the Yellow Show. The one, that, the one with the yellows, right? The one with the yellows. The yellow people. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, mm-hmm. Yep, you're right. They're called the Sampsons, I do believe. No, the Thompsons. Mr. Thompson. Okay, um, let's just go right into all of the spiel. Spit and polish. That's us. Why? We're always spitting, and we both happen to be Polish. Any interesting Polish things, Bartek, that you're wanting to offer up to today's episode? Yeah, a real T-bomb, actually. Ooh. We always say we're always spitting, we both happen to be Polish, but that's just, you know, a line that we say because it sounds good. In actuality, we're both Polish, and we just happen to spit. Ooh, ew, subversions. Did Ryan Johnson enter the room? Because you just subverted my expectations of where you were going to go. Which means it was objectively good. That means it was objectively good. This is just a movie for kids about space wizards. We're not allowed to think about it any more critically than that. Oh, I thought it was about family. No, it's about family. That's what makes it so important, Bartek. Um, Why are we like this? Um, So... We are here to talk about a movie that came recommended. That is the format of Pictures Pow Wow. You, Bartek, mm-hmm. ch- ch- chose the movie. Why did I choose the movie? I don't know. You can tell us that. No, why didn't, it's not why did I choose this specific movie. <laughs> why was it me that got to choose the movie for this episode? Because it was episode? your turn. My turn? What, when is it not my turn? When you roll a one. <laughs> That's when it's not your turn. What I'm trying to get Ryan to explain <laughs> is that we have a three-week cycle. First, I recommend something, then he does, then we have you, the listening people, recommend something, and this is my turn. It's my turn. It's me, Bartek. It's my turn. That's how. That's how you sound. Mm. In case you, people. Yeah. In case I got it. It's a pretty good voice. I should be on that yellow show. Yeah, my turn. <laughs> Let me tell you. Ah, uh, so you chose a film. What one did you select? For us. I selectioned the 2007 film, uh, The Darjeeling Limited. Darjeeling Limited, yes. 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 With uh, everybody's favourite, Wes Anderson at the helm, directing Wes Anderson's Darjeeling Limited. You can't just call it just it on its own. It's Wes's. It's Wes Anderson's. The famous Wes Anderson. With his usual crew of uh, people. Uh, we've got, uh, of course, to open up the film, we've got Bill Murray. Mm-hmm. Iconic. Probably the thing that's most rem- remembered about the film culturally is Bill Murray in a full suit in India running after a train only for one of the main, the actual main characters to run past him and proceed to take the plot away from him. <laughs> the mislead of you thinking that Bill Murray is somehow going to be important to the film. <laughs> well, he comes back at one point, so there's got to be meaning to that, right? Yes. Yes, you got it. You nailed it. Uh, congratulations. Here's an Oscar for you, Wes. Oh, thank you. Did Bill Murray ever win one? No. No. 
Did he never? He's never won an Oscar. I don't think so. Lost in Translation wasn't good enough, apparently, so he wasn't worthy of it. What did he whisper to Scarlett Johansson at the end? I won an Oscar. That's what he. That's what he whispered, <laughs> and they didn't give it to him because they heard it. And they don't give it to people who ask for it, unless you're Jared Leto and you asked for it that one time, and then they get. He got an Oscar, didn't he, Jared? He's an Oscar winner, Jared Leto, right? For did he win it for Dallas Buyers Club, or was he just nominated? Is that why he's so hungry? Either way, they gave it. I could have sworn I remember him giving a speech. They so, gave. They, they did yeah. give it to Leo after a certain. I think point. he had really long hair. Now that I'm remembering it. Well, he always has that, that one long time. Hair. He had really long hair. That one time, he's only he's only had it one time, yeah. and, and it was when he was in his full cult mode. Oh, but no, we've got Owen Wilson. As one of your lead actors, we've got Adrian Brody of that famous internet song fame, Adrian Brody, and we've got uh, Jason Schwartzman, Schwartzman, who's a Coppola, in case you didn't know that. I didn't, actually. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yes, yes, he's a Coppola. He's he's one of the Coppolas. That's how he got into the industry, because of nepotism. Isn't that fun? Isn't that a little fun fact? I like nepotism. Yeah, too bad you don't get any, huh? Yeah. Bartek starts crying into his into his rich rich velvety gloves. <laughs> I wish I had nepotism. No, I'd be the com- no. If I'm rich, then I'd be the committer of nepotism. But I want to be the receiver of it. But you need to have a kid to perform nepotism. Well, I don't need. It doesn't need to be relatives. Does it? it could be friends, right? I think it's relatives for the most part. Nepotism. I guess it's the more traditional one. It's the yeah. more traditional. Uh people. If you're nepotists, let us know. Comment below. Uh, like and subscribe. If you're pro-nep, let us know. If you're pro-nep and pro-nip, let us know. Uh, oh, I know which one you are, right? Free the nep. <laughs> I've listened to the Snow Day episode. I've listened to the Snow Day episode and the Snow Day commentary, the actual official commentary as well, where I know where the creators are on that. Yeah. I listened to that too. Uh, okay, so uh, we've got a Wes Anderson film. You recommended it. I'll go into my history because it's pretty short. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've seen this film twice before, and I've never liked it. Um, it's that one Wes Anderson film that has never connected with me. I find Wes Anderson to be a very hit or miss filmmaker. Some of his films I really connect with. Uh, Grand Budapest Hotel being a great example, where the humor, the characters, the heart of the story really, really works. I get emotional at points in that. It's very funny. Uh, great performances. And so, other ones like Moonrise Kingdom I very much enjoy as well. Uh, Life Aquatic, I love that film. But then there are other ones of his where I just, I know I don't like them or I flip-flop. Like Fantastic Mr. Fox, I flip-flop on whether I like it or not. Um, sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. Uh, and then there are other ones of his like uh, Isle of Dogs I didn't like. I found it too cold and alienating and uh, pretentious is the word of the day that will be used. Was and- it because of that or your cinema experience? Well, my cinema <laughs> experience made it more fun, if anything else. <laughs> but people took their kids and then their kids started to cry because it was not a kid's film, <laughs> unlike Fantastic Mr. Fox. And so I had a great time at the movies watching it, but I didn't love the movie. Um, I have always pointed to this film that you recommended as the reason why I understand how people don't like Wes Anderson, because I have not enjoyed this. I saw it once and I was like, ah, I didn't enjoy it. Then then I went, it was on TV at one point and I was like, oh, I'll give it another go. And I just, 
It was just, I remember I was sitting there being like, oh, fucking, I get it. You, you pretentious fuck. I get it. Like, <laughs> you got themes and spiritualism and, uh, and oh, look at me with my symmetrical framing and like everything looks like a fucking toy in some way. I got really annoyed with it that second time. So when you recommended it last week and I was like, oh, God, I'm rubbing my temples because I'm like, oh, God, I have to fucking give this another go. And I'm going <laughs> to really try to give it a go. I'm like, I'm going to sit down. I watched it by myself because my wife doesn't like it. She didn't want to see it. I'm like, but I love Owen Wilson. I, I am apathetic about Adrian Brody. Um, I, I, I like Wes Anderson. I think I like him more than I don't. So I'm going to sit down and give it my all. And you've been recommending some... Uh, you recommended a Bollywood film recently, so I'm in the mood of all of that to kind of like... Come really back to sit, India. Come back to India, really give it a go, sit down... And I was like, hey, there's this actor. Hey, there's this actor. I forgot they were in here. Like, um, hey, the, the, the chick that he, uh, Jason Schwartzman, gets with on the train, she was in St. Trinian's a year later. Oh. She was Peaches. And so I was like, hey, yeah. And this is like her first movie. And I was like, oh, awesome. And I was really giving it my all. So that's kind of like where I'm at. I'm going to stop there so I can hear what's been your experience with the film and uh, why you recommended it. Yeah, um, this was definitely not one that I was thinking about for a long time. In fact, I, w- I was actually thinking for a last couple of weeks, like, oh, what will be my next recommendation? You know, a couple of things sticking in my head, uh, th- trying to think of something. Oh, what's something I saw a really long time ago that I've forgotten about? And somehow my brain jumped to this film, mm. which... This might be another case of me thinking that this is some obscure film that no one's ever heard of before, <laughs> um, that no one's seen, because I've never really heard anyone talk about it before. And from what little I can remember of my history with the film, I'm a little bit vague on it, but I'll do my best to try and uh, explain it. Um, so this film obviously came out 2007, which would have been a few years after I started getting into Bollywood films. Uh, yeah, uh, we would have been mom. in high school. Yeah, definitely year eight time for us. Um, and I remember this was one that before it came out, my mum was talking about it a lot. She was like, oh, mm. there's going to be this uh, Western film that's set in India coming out that sounds really interesting, the the Darjeeling Limited. Mm. And I think for a long time up to the lead up of this, it was just this thing that we were kind of waiting to come out. Um, and we eventually did see it. I, it wasn't in the cinema. I think we might have gotten a copy from a port town, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember when we watched it, it wasn't quite what I was expecting. And I, I was thinking about this a bit more uh, recently about like, so what was I expecting? I think maybe at that point, I'd never really seen a film that was you know, this kind of auteur director kind of film, which is kind of different from the mm-hmm. usual Hollywood affair. It's very much coming from the mind of somebody. Yeah, I think so. Maybe what stuck with me after that experience was it was my first time seeing something like that. Like, I don't think I'd seen a Tarantino film up to that mm. point. Nothing quite like that. Um, so maybe, so I remember walking away from it, not necessarily remembering too much about it. Like, I remember Owen Wilson was, like, really injured and it was about, like, three mm. brothers travelling through India and I didn't really know what to say I liked about it, but something about it, you know, did work for me. Um, but, and because, you know, I never really discussed it with anyone, never really heard anyone talking about it, it kind of faded from my mind. 
And then, in, yeah, a few weeks ago, I remembered it. And I was like, oh, I should recommend that. Uh, you know, wh- who else is big in that? And I saw Wes Anderson. I'm like, oh, that was a Wes Anderson film. That's mm. that's a person people know. Mm-hmm, including yourself. Yeah. Uh, but to be honest, I've actually only seen two films of his. This and... This and Budapest Hotel. Mm-hmm. Which, of the Grand Variety. Of the Grand Variety. I remember... <laughs> When I was trying to recall in my head what it was called, I called it the Best Exotic Marigold Hotel. That That's was a, diff- a different film. That was a different film. A different film with a star-studded cast as well, though. Yes. And same country, too. Oh, great. Yeah. Wait, no, sorry. We're talking about Budapest Hotel. That's not India. That's This film's in India. <laughs> Grand Budapest is in a fictional country, I do believe. Right, the Budapest in the title is misleading, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think their whole thing in Grand Budapest is just like it's taking place in historical countries and historical events, like blending World War Two and World War Two mm. things together. Yeah, I should re I have. I've it's only, a fun film. Yeah, I've only seen it in cinemas. Oh, I saw it in the cinema yeah. as well. That was beautiful. <laughs> I, I think, think I saw it and Django around the same yeah. time because it was around the same time. I think I saw it before you and I told you, like, oh, that's a really good film. Mm. I think that was, was that 2014? 2014, Yes, that would have been Soviet, like, when we became friends, 2014. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, is this your first revisit with this, with Darjeeling Limited? Yes, yes. Like I said, mm. I, it was just kind of put in the back of my mind for a long time, and, you know, me remembering, I was like, oh, yeah, that film, I remember I had a reaction to that, I should re-watch it, why don't we do it on the podcast? We'll see yeah. if Ryan knows it. Oh, it's Wes Anderson, probably everyone knows it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep, it is true. When it comes up, when you bring him up, it's one of the first films that comes up. Maybe because visually it is one of his most striking films. Very okay. colourful. And colourful in a vibrant way. Where sometimes his other films are colourful, like they pop, but there's a kind of lightness to the hue of the colours. Like in uh, Grand Budapest, like uh, the, the, the pink of it is very light, 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 mm. almost whitish pink. Here, it's a very vibrant yellows, very vibrant blues and greens and red. Of course, is a big uh, thing here, and uh, it's also a film where he is in his in a different environment, where he's going to India, he's going to a country, he's filming there, getting the culture. All of that. Well, other ones, it's like very manufactured locations. Like we're at the sea, so we're going to have our little submarine and do all this crazy stuff or it's stop motion-y. Like, you've never seen Fantastic Mr. Fox? No, no. Like I said, just those oh, two wow. films. Wow. I really thought you would have seen that because that was pretty big when we were growing up. I remember the, tra- I remember the trailers. George, but, yeah. Fo- George Clooney as a fox. That's all you need. That's all you need. I just remember in the trailer they said the word fantastic a lot. Because mm, he's the Fantastic Mr. Fox. Mm. Um, that's a, yeah, that's one I flip-flop on, but, uh, so revisiting my third time, now this is your second, wow, I really thought you were going to be the one that's like, oh, I love this, I've seen it a lot, <laughs> and uh, especially because it's like, you know, it's got that attachment to India, which your family has, hence you guys saw it in the first place, mm-hmm. uh, I really thought, oh, maybe this is something you guys have seen before, but, uh, more often, yeah, I should I, say. I really have to ask my mum what, if she remembers this film. Yeah, uh, uh, if you're listening... Message us. Drop it in the comments. Come on. Mum, if you actually are listening, you can just talk to me directly. You don't have to message no, us through mom, Facebook. Uh, no, Mummy. Or YouTube. <laughs> do it directly so everybody knows. Not just Bartek. I want to know. And I want everybody to All the listening people need to know more about your dynamic with this film, okay? If you remember Thank it. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much. How could you forget? It's got Owen Wilson with a bandaged face. Uh, so back to the conversation at large. Where am I with it now? 
Yes. I am less inclined to say it's pretentious drivel than I was before. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just didn't care all that much. Right. <laughs> I like the actors more than I like the characters themselves. And I guess it's like they're unlikable, but likable. Um, my favourite things that I've come to know with Wes is... I think he's a very noisy filmmaker, not necessarily in terms of dialogue or violence or action, but visually, he's always got something happening. You know, like, even a still shot is there's so much noise happening because it's like, look at how symmetrical it is and, like, frames within frames and colours within colours. And my favourite moments are when he's quiet, literally as well. My favourite moment in the film is when uh, uh, Jason Schwartzman takes a cigarette and he's smoking out the window of the train and he sees the Indian girl and they connect. Mm. And it's just them looking at each other and just these nice, quiet shots. Those are, And there's many moments like that throughout. And those are more my favourite moments than the talking over each other or the quippiness or the cameras swirling around or like this Rube Goldberg-like machine of a set where we have like... The camera's going from left and we are like in the train compartment, then we're in a different train compartment, then we're in a hotel room. And I, I'm I'm impressed by all the, the, uh, the panache that he puts in. But what draws me more is those quiet little moments like that. And, and for instance, Grand Budapest Hotel is very clockwork in his precision making. Uh, yet some of my favorite moments are also the quiet moments. Like uh, I find that film funnier than this one. 10 times funnier. So I'm not minding the dialogue, but my favorite moment in that was uh, Rafe Fiennes is in a train compartment just looking up at the roof and we get a nice little quiet moment of a, a monologue from the main character being like, he never talked about his family. Ever. And that, that that's the only thing you get and you see Rafe Fiennes just expression and you just know so, like he's haunted about like whatever happened and like that's what I attach myself Ryan to. Ryan really loves quiet scenes on trains. Yeah, no, that's that's actually very true. Actually, yeah. um, so I didn't feel like I I don't think it's as pretentious, but I just I wasn't as enamored with the characters as the film clearly is, and that's a thing too. Like there are some films where it's just like, especially Wes Anderson films, where mm. you say if you don't like it and you're not on board with the characters, you're gonna get people who be like, well, you just don't get it, guys. I I, I get it. I do get it. I just didn't attach myself to it as strongly, but more so than on previous watches. It's more. It's. A, it, it, I think it's going to be if I keep having it in my life, a sleeper hit of a film, a, a mm. grower more than a shower type of deal. Yeah, I. I definitely see what you mean. The walking into this episode, one of the dangers that I foresaw with you know me talking about it is. Is it going to come across like maybe I'm making excuses for the film? Because, like you said, there, you know, some of these the characters we don't fully understand them. Uh, I feel like there's a lot of things going on underneath that aren't said out loud. Implications, implications of you know what these characters are feeling. And when I was watching the film, like I was you know making interpretations of like you know the the, the whole premise of the film. Uh, is one that Owen Wilson's character likes to try and describe as being like, oh, we are trying to, you know, go through India on a spiritual journey mm-hmm. to feel a certain sense of fulfillment or enlightenment. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and a lot of the ways that these characters act are that they are accepting of the fact that, like, okay, well, we have to uh, accept this and go through it to get that enlightenment, but also we're not fully invested in it. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a lot of just very casual offhand, like, oh, I'm going to go pray at the other thing, mm-hmm. uh, things like that. It's like, oh, can we all agree that we're going to do this? Like, yeah, sure, why not? It's like, <laughs> oh, we, we don't actually care, but yeah, we'll, we'll agree to that. Going through the motions. Yeah, so the, a lot of... Which is interesting because it's a film about a locomotion. Yeah, the, the the fact that this film is about these characters who have their own problems and they're trying to escape from them, but they're still, you know, thinking about them. They're in India, but they've got things that they're going to go back to. Mm. Yeah, there's just a lot of... You have to... At least for me, I, I was looking at... What am I trying to say here? Yeah. Um, you have to be on board with the film. You have to be on board with the film, yes, but... Choo-choo. <laughs> oh, that's why you said the choo-choo-choosy thing earlier. <laughs> Bartek is like 15 steps behind. I'm playing That was four... like the first minute of the episode. Yeah. <laughs> I'm playing 40 chess, and Bartek's still playing fucking checkers. <laughs> yeah, but I'm king me. King me, baby. Yeah, you have multiple kings. Yeah, I choo-choo-choose you. Choo-choo. It's a train. I'll put it this way. A lot of- I like trains. <laughs> when I was looking up the film online after the fact, like what people were saying about it, there were a lot of people who, well, I say a lot of people, I read like two reviews of people who were saying, oh, this is a film about, you know, white privileged people mm. using the suffering of brown people or the... the Culture. The, the culture of black- appropriation. Yeah. And, yeah and not, it- not so much appropriation, but the fact that it was using another culture for their own self-fulfillment or something like that. Yes. And the main... Th- and Even though they explained their points, like I read the title and I was like, oh, I know where this is going, but they actually, you know, expressed themselves well. I think, though, it all just comes back to the fact that, you know, these guys are kind of clueless about a lot of this stuff. And selfish. Selfish and... They are looking for, you know, a, a spiritual experience, but they're doing it in such a, you know, stereotypical mm-hmm. and... Disrespectful. Disrespectful. Disingenuous is the word that I'm looking that's for here. That. It's very disingenuous, and that's why, you know, the the journey doesn't work for them, and they find it through something unexpected. Yeah. So, like, a big thing that people talk about is, like, oh, they... Uh, a young Indian boy dying, you know, kind of sets them on the mm. right path. And again, these reviews express themselves well. And that's when we get the first time where we actually cut away to the past that we've heard so much about. Yeah. When a young Indian boy dies and we have the funeral, it actually, that generates the ability to break free of the implications and going into the actual direct statements of what happened in the past. Yeah, and to I lead us here. Yeah, and I can definitely see if like we didn't have that, you know, flashback to the past, maybe then I could agree with it a bit more, but you know the the impact that it had on the events that were going on in the present, I felt like this goes back to me, you know, making excuses potentially it it felt like I couldn't quite put it into words, but mm. I felt something. You as a viewer as well, and this is also another aspect where there's a line of separation for me, and for Mm. some people as well, you love feel-good films. You always bring up that one Simon Pegg movie, what was it called? Oh, the Hector and the Search for Happiness? Yes, 
you love those type of movies more than I do, where people actively are trying to find enlightenment or happiness or joy, feel good type stories.、Uh, I reckon you would love that Tom Hanks film, Larry Crown. I reckon you'd love that film. I haven't heard of it. Uh, it's one of the few he actually directed. It's oh, okay. A, it's a decent movie. I reckon you would enjoy it. But you love those, and so many people do. And so this fits so nicely into that category. And I'm not against them, but they're just not my thing because there is a certain level of、um, to to my cynical heart, a level of、there、like. Is... <gasps> Look at them, guys! They found it, and you can too. <laughs> the two things that I would say to that are definitely it's it's something that is in me that I am aware of, and the fact that I host a you know movie podcast, I realize that that's not usually enough for a you know full on discussion or a proper review. So I do try to find a different line, but also with this film, I don't even know if I definitely if I'd necessarily say it's a feel good film. They, more、uh, than it, it's a feel film for me. Yeah, well, yeah, that's the thing. With a lot of these feel-good films, they take you through the gambit of emotions to then get you to this place of enlightened satisfaction of the characters and you as the viewer having gone through this. I mean, these people that we are following on this journey through India start out as cynical, start out as going through the motions and not really wanting to connect as brothers, but by the end. They've changed. They're connected.、Mm. They're 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 far stronger than they were, and they're willing to tackle the issues of their life more altruistically and head on than they were at the beginning. And so there's that type of thing. And a lot of these go through that, where it's like you got to see them low. You got to see a kid die, I guess.、Um, <laughs> no, I, I can see- I just say, I, I, and I will get to you. You to keep a thought on that. One of the things that really threw me was just that kid dying sequence. I forgot about the actual sequence. I remembered the aftermath of the sequence. So,、uh, Wes Anderson's actually really surprising with like quick, sudden but、um, not gratuitous violence in his movies. He's very good at that, and I don't think people credit him enough with that. Even in、uh, Grand Budapest Hotel, there for comedic effect. Uh, Adrian Brody will just get punched in the face, and then they run away. And it's like so quick and sudden, and yet it's super effective and not at all gratuitous. But、uh, you were going to say, um, yeah, I was going to say even for the ending of the film, like I felt much more melancholic about it than again feel good. So、mm. yeah, it's just a, a emotional roller coaster, I suppose, would be the the phrase there. Not necessarily that it had a happy ending, even though it was definitely more uplifting. They had changed. You know there is a bit of hope for their future, but yeah, just complicated. You don't get their full story. You get it, you obviously get their stories. You know、yes. their pasts. You、um, get enough to make the narrative work, but also enough for you to think about、yeah. after it's done、yeah. or during the scenes. And even with you know a lot of the interaction between the three brothers, even though you do get a note of who they are, you know you've got their. the the young one who kind of tries to detach himself he's the lone wolf the, travel the world yeah the the middle one who's right about his life yeah the middle one who's you know a bit more nervous he steals a bunch of things got a lot of neuroticisms and the older one who is trying to be the 
the big brother who's in charge of everything, but he's also just really stupid, stupid and weird and <laughs> not it, reading naive. cues a lot of the times. Oh. The Owen Wilson character. <laughs> oh, and what we find out when we meet their mother is he's trying to mother them. Because he's exactly like the mum. Yeah, the mum has a lot of his qualities, like picking yeah. their meals for them. Yeah, so so that's also an interesting little wrinkle that you, again, find out later is not only is he trying, you think at first he's trying to be the, 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 the father figure, perhaps, to these two, the one who brings them together, but when you meet the mother, you're like, oh, you're the mum. Well, but the- now the mum isn't interested in doing what you're doing, which is keeping everyone together. She doesn't want that. That's not her anymore. She's on her own. She doesn't need you guys anymore, in well, a way. Well, he's Owen Wilson, though, he's also got the, the... He really exemplifies the naivete of the whole, you know, spiritual journey. He's the one that mm-hmm. planned it. He's, you know, supposedly survived a really traumatic thing, and obviously you can read into the fact that, like, oh, he's the one that really wants to get some sort of fulfillment out of this, and the yes. other brothers, you know, because they do love him to some extent, they are going along with it. Well, let's kind of delve into the Owen Wilson side of things, his character, which is Francis, yes. I do believe. They're all named after directors mm. or actors. What's the Peter one? Um, uh, oh, I'm forgetting that guy's name. It's like Peter Bol- Boganoff. I can't okay. remember. Uh, I know him, but I just can't remember how I pronounce yeah. the name. I know it was Jack Nicholson and Francis yeah. Ford Coppola for the other two. Yeah, and so famous people of that time, of the 70s. And so Owen Wilson needs this the most, right? Because I, my read is the implication is he tried to kill himself. He makes a joke about it at one point, but... But then he makes a statement about, like, to the mother, right? I don't yeah. know if you're saying this is the joke part, but when he says to the mother, like, I purposely rode my motorcycle like, yeah. onto a hill. And it's, like, treated, like, quietly, and the brothers react like, oh, that's what happened there. And even before that, I got the sensation, that this is stuff I didn't remember, of when he undoes all of his bandages, and he's got all the scars, and he takes a sharp breath, and he's like... Yeah, he says something along the lines of "I still need to heal." Yeah, there's still more healing. Still more healing ahead of me, and I my my read is he tried to kill himself, and he needs to find some meaning to life after having tried to do that. And so this is his attempt. Mm. He needs this connection. He needs this enlightenment. And along the way, he finds that it's not exactly what he thought he needed. But like the way he was going about it wasn't the way he needed to go about it. But in the end, he got what he needed. And so that's kind of like how I look at it. And there is a very melancholic tinge to the movie when you think about it from that perspective, that this whole entire thing is spawned from the fact that this one guy tried to kill himself because of whatever reasons are going on in his life, some of which we get to know, some of which we don't. Mm. Um, And so we have this happy-go-lucky Wes Anderson film where visually, and I think you can agree with me, visually it's got a very playful energy to it, like bright colours, the... The camera work is kind of like can bring jokes on its own of just how it like zooms in or like pans over. Where visually, Wes Anderson films present a bubblegum aesthetic, this bright, colorful, poppy thing, but the actual material of the scripts are very melancholic and sad. So you have that nice juxtaposition where you're playing catch up mentally in a way where you're going, Oh, but it's so look, it's so funny. And we've got Owen Wilson, and he says, Oh, wow. And then the film will be like, Yeah, but he tried to kill himself. How do you feel about that? Mm. And you're like, huh. 
I don't know how to feel about that. Let me give that. Let me give that some time he, to he, process. He called those kids fucking assholes, and then they, <laughs> one of them ended up dying a minute later. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a great example. Um, well, I mean, what's your read on it? How do you feel about the Owen Wilson side? Are you similar to me, or did you have a different angle on it? No, they're definitely similar. I know that when I was watching the film, I was kind of taking his words at face value, which, you know, since the beginning of the film kind of shows you, like, oh, they're all, if not lying, they're hiding things from each other. Like, oh, I'll tell this brother this one, but tell him not to tell the other brother. And then they <laughs> tell the other brother, and it's like, don't tell the other brother that I told you. That kind of thing going on. And he e- told him? And even though he's the big one who advocates for like, all right, guys, look, we need to be honest with each other. He's the one that's trying to keep the mother thing a surprise uh, thing. Like, I actually don't even remember. W- he lied at the funeral, too, about the mother not coming. Owen yes, Wilson. yes, that's true. That's another reveal. Um, what, what was his original uh, excuse for what happened to his face? Was, was he hit by... Oh, he, he explained that, like, yeah, he had some kind of accident and he went flying through the air and, like, glass particles and yeah. it was, whether it was on his bike or his car, I didn't remember. Yeah, at I'm, that mixing it up with, I'm mixing it up with what happened to their dad, I guess. The dad got hit by a ca- taxi. He got hit by a taxi, yeah. I'm like, oh, he got hit by a car. No, wait, that was the dad, that kind yeah. of thing. But, yeah. Um, the blurring. But basically, I was thinking to myself, like, oh, okay, he he was in an accident. But then when he did say that, you know, I still got time to heal, I think I did still interpret it as like, oh, well, you know, he's talking about his face, but also emotionally, mm-hmm. you know, there's things ahead. And even at that point, like, they hadn't met the mum yet, mm-hmm. I don't think. So, you know, when they were at the, when they were about to get on the plane and you couldn't hear what they were saying, but then they left, it was like, okay, yeah, they're going to continue the journey. Yeah. Yeah. Who was your favourite? In the film. My favourite in the film. Um, I know. It's a toughie. Mm, yeah, it is a toughie. I think it's Owen. I think Maybe, people yeah. underestimate him as an actor because he's just so like, hey guys, it's me, Owen Wilson. But he, he's always had that ability, especially in Wes Anderson movies, to dial in to being comedic and sad in even even very evenly and very easily as well. Uh, I think because we're so used to him in stuff like Zoolander that he's just like the dumb blonde comedy guy. But whenever he does a Wes film, it's like, oh, Owen Wilson being arty. And he wrote three Wes Anderson movies. Apparently, I think he was supposed to write this one and it just didn't work out or something or one of the other ones or maybe Life Aquatic. And it just didn't work out because of scheduling things, but... Um, yeah, because it was Jason Schwartzman that co-wrote it. Mm-hmm, you know? mm-hmm. Yes, and a Coppola as well. Another Coppola. Two Coppolas. Two Coppolas and a Wes Anderson. Mm. Uh, yeah, so uh, Owen does stand out. I mean, visually as well. <laughs> he stands out with, with his big bandages and the, the band-aids and all of that stuff. But he's just so bubbly. Mm. In his approach, he's got the cane and him with the one shoe he's, after the and got he's got stolen. Yeah, and... he's got reactions to things like, hey, those guys are laughing at us. I love the people in this country. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck those guys. <laughs> I'm going to miss this place. It's the smell. Was he the one that was commenting about the smell? Of no, that, that was Peter. Oh, that was Peter? That yeah, was Adrian Brody. Yeah. Oh, it was Adrian Brody. Yeah, and it's, uh, that it smells like spice. 
Owen Wilson was on the phone at that point. Oh, that's right. Yes, yes, yes. Adrian Brody stands out as well. I mean, he's just such a visually distinct looking guy. Mm. He's got, he's very tall and gangly, and he's got that nose and those little the eyes, yeah. <laughs> and the little eyes are amplified as littler when he's got these big glasses on. And I mean, those two definitely stand out, especially since the Jason Schwartzman character is the the quiet one. Mm. He definitely feels the youngest. Like when the two are fighting mm. on the train. And he's he's basically doing like the little I gotta do this though, don't be mad at me, please, kind of thing. And he's running away from them at he's the end. He's also the horn dog, yeah. Jason Schwartzman. <laughs> just uh, when 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 they're about to have their sex scene and she's like, Don't come in me, and he's just like <sighs> just that little <laughs> moment of like, <sighs> okay. <laughs> just like, ah, all right, I'll figure out another way to do this then. Which was a very amusing little trick of his. And then uh, and then he didn't bring back the savory snacks. No, no, no. Um, uh, one of my favorite side characters was uh the the um, what was his role? The train, the head steward. I loved him. He, he was, was great. very good, and I love the comedic reveal at the end <laughs> the that he snake. did keep the snake. <laughs> <laughs> but I loved his line delivery of "It's dead." <laughs> it was, no, he just said "dead." Oh, uh, where's snake dead? And just, <laughs> just the way he said it was very, uh, very, very funny. It made the payoff much funnier, definitely. Do you want to talk about the father? The the, the actor who played the father of the kid who died? Oh, Ifan Khan? Do you want to talk about him? Because, I mean, he's a pretty... Even I... Like, I think he's one of those... Bolly, he's a Bollywood actor. He's correct? a Bollywood actor, but he's been in Hollywood he, for like... He was in Life of Pi. He was in Life of Pi, Slumdog Millionaire, one of those... What are those Tom Hanks movies? Da Vinci Code, he was in one of those. Oh, okay. Big actor. I mean, he was in Jurassic World. Even big actor in the in the West and mm. in India. Yeah. So I thought Reese is a big fan of him. I'm a big fan of him, and mm. I am wondering one day if you'll ever recommend one of his movies from India. <laughs> there if is, you've even seen any of them no, because there, I haven't heard you actually is, talk about him that much. There is one that I've been meaning to recommend for years, and I was going to recommend at one point, but then he died, and yeah. I didn't want to make it a thing yeah. like that. Which is, I, I'm keen because. He is one of those guys, he was one of those guys where, even here, he's given basically little to nothing to do. He, he doesn't speak, he doesn't speak English once in the film, right? I don't no. think so. And I was constantly, like, when we, when, when we first saw him and his reaction to the dead son and all of that, I was like, please don't let the camera t go away from him. I want to watch the movie about him. I want to watch his movie where he's reacting to this and having to get over this and going on his own journey. He's just such a palpable screen presence. And we've talked about that with our other Bollywood films where they are very, very good or very, very adept at getting those actors or actresses that are just those ones where you don't want the camera to go away from them because they are just so alluring. There is something about... These Indian actors that we've encountered on the pod, where it's like each one of them has just been alluring to watch on the camera. Like there hasn't been one thus far that I've been like, I I didn't care for them. I don't get the appeal, Bartek. I mean, I guess first off, Shahrukh Khan in Main Huna, but like I got it. I just didn't really think that movie was selling it as well. Yeah. And then obviously I've seen Om Shanti Om, and I'm like, oh, now I'm all for him. I love that guy. But um, 
Uh, the film I'm thinking of is both of them in it. Yeah. Oh, cool. So, talk to me about this guy. Anything you want to kind of delve into, and what you thought about him here? Whether it was a nice little surprise to see him again, or was it? Or was that something you did remember? What's kind of your background with this guy? I definitely didn't remember him from the first viewing because I really didn't remember much from the first viewing. Um, I haven't actually seen too many of his Bollywood films. I think I've probably seen him. Yeah, kind of just in more Western stuff. Like, I've seen Life of Pi, and I'm honestly escaping on other things I've seen him in, but he's definitely one that when I think of him, it's like, oh, yeah, that's a good guy. I Did like you ever him. see Slumdog? No, I haven't. Wow. That's the one that, like, you're always surprised that I haven't seen it. God damn. Where were, <laughs> where was your mum for that one? Uh, she bought me the book. I saw it in the cinema on a mm. school trip. That's That was a fun time. Sounds um, like one. So you haven't seen too much of his actual Indian work? No, I've just seen the one, I think. Is is he is it common or uncommon for somebody like him from Bollywood to branch out to Hollywood and manage to do both pretty pretty evenly? Because I actually looked at his trivia and a lot of times it was like Ridley Scott wanted him for this movie. He couldn't do it because he was doing this movie. Like, constantly, it was like, he was going to be in this movie, and then he couldn't because he was doing an Indian movie. Or the other way around, it was like, he was going to be in this big Indian movie, but he was doing this big Hollywood movie. I'm just not as used to that happening, where it's just yeah, like, I... they're, they're evenly spread, or like, they can branch out to Hollywood as easily. Yeah, I honestly don't really know of too many others that would, yeah, have the thing, because... This is a guy that people in the West know. Like, you know, maybe they know, you know, the trivia point. He's actually a big Bollywood star, but, like, he appears in Hollywood films. He appeared in Hollywood films every now and then. So it would have been believable that some people just think, oh, he's a Indian-American actor that is in film sometimes. But no, he's not American at all. (laughs) Is it? Because I know with Bollywood especially, there's a very um, protective or ownership quality to the actors that the that the audience and the actual studios have of them. There's a very kind of controlling atmosphere, seems the vibe. Is there any kind of like backlash to somebody like him just kind of leaving to go to Hollywood? Because there's backlashes to that even for Australia, where we're like, oh, look at that Ben Mendelsohn, huh? Went to Hollywood at the runoff oh, to Hollywood. Like, do you, do we you had know that what with mean? Mel Gibson. Once we had that with Mel Gibson, and then we're like, keep him, <laughs> keep him. Um, but is there like that with? I'm, I would be surprised if it isn't like that with India, because I know it's like that with Japan sometimes as well, where there is mm. that little bit of like, ah, oh, you say so you think you can run off to Hollywood, do you? Fuck you. How could you do this? How could you betray us like this? To be honest, I haven't really thought about that much outside of, you know, the Australian examples. Mm, mm. I I can't imagine India would be like that, especially since, you know, he's only been in a couple here and there, so he's still mostly Bollywood from what I understood. He did. understand. Yeah, I mean, he did. I I guess it's it's a handful. He did very successful, (laughs) well-known Hollywood films. And remember, they do have- like 160 I remember, the celebrity worship in India is much, much different from, you know- Oh, that's what I'm saying. Like, the celebrity worship there is different, but there is also, like, negatives of its differences as well that are very, very striking that we've talked about in previous Mm. Bollywood or Indian film discussions. Like, uh, there was that whole thing where it's like, like, oh, there was a big trouble when one Indian star was known for doing drugs, and then there was like this whole upheaval. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. And it was just like, uh, so, so, uh, while here we were just like, oh, really? Johnny Depp did drugs? No way. I'll I say, can't believe that. I'll say this in the one Bollywood film that I've seen that Snoop Dogg was in, I don't remember anyone <laughs> even remembering that he did that. 
<laughs> is it the same one with this guy in it? No, no, no. That film was called Sing is King. Oh, is that? And Snoop Dogg did the theme song for it. Is that part? Okay. Sing is King. Mm-hmm. Okay. Is that a part of a, is that just a single film or is it a part of an well, ongoing standalone? Okay. Cause I know there's the Singham movies where there's Singham, Singham Returns and there's like a whole bunch of movies about Singham. Singham? Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah. Bartek, next episode, I'm recommending <laughs> Singham. Yeah. No, I'm just saying Sing like the name, like S-I-N-G-H. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, I loved him here. I thought he was wonderful. For what little he did, he did really well. And that's those goal. That's the strength of Wes Anderson as a director. He stacks his cast with amazing talents and ab- abstract talents, like your Bill Murray's and your Owen Wilson's and your Edward Norton's and like all of these wonderful actors and actresses. He stacks his cast, like, rarely does he have unknowns in his cast, rarely ever, like, as proper, proper lead leads. He always has his cast with all these great actors from different corners of the world, different corners of, like, the entertainment industry, and so there's always that kind of, hey, it's that guy, hey, it's Bill Murray, hey, is that Natalie Portman? Okay, we've just moved on, like, she was in this movie. Mm. Did you recognize Natalie Portman was in this movie? <laughs> Not until afterwards. I'm like, oh, that was her. That was Natalie Portman. And she just got to shoot for 30 minutes and then travel around India for the rest of the month or whatever. So <laughs> she had a fun time shooting this. She did the same thing Bill Murray did, apparently. Yeah. There you go. Maybe she, they did it together. Oh, where's that movie? Where's that movie? <laughs> wait, huh? sorry. Was that Bill Murray or Colin Mockery? Oh, I don't know. Oh, wait, wait. We had that movie with Bill Murray. It's called Rock the Casbah. A little bit like Ishtar. <laughs> I'll be honest. When he was in the taxi at the very beginning, going through a very, you know, kind of dusty, sandy city. <laughs> you, you had Rock I was... the Casbah flashbacks. Yeah. I forgot this. That was our second last unappreciated masterpiece. It's like Ishtar. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but no, I love, but that's the thing. He gets these people and they get like one or two scene little things, and but they're very, very good. And you remember them. Like, it's like one of his strengths as a director is he knows how to utilize these actors and make them memorable, even if they've only got like two seconds of screen time mm. and even no dialogue or no understandable to the English ear dialogue. I remember the father. I remember because it's a dramatic scene and he acts the fuck out of it and we leave him. Yeah, he's got like four major things that he does and they're all very understated in a part of the film where you don't get too much dialogue and he does really well for them. And it highlights how insignificant our main character's problems are, realistically. Mm. Like, like there's that moment where it was like Jason Schwartzman's just sitting down and he's making um, uh, little flowers or whatever on the, on, the, like, on the necklace or whatever. He's like doing all of those. I can't remember what exactly he's doing. He's just fiddling around. He's, he's futzing around with flowers and whatever. And then it, like the camera like pans over and down the way is, you see the father with the kid's body and then we just cut to the father you know, over the kid's body, doing all the ceremonies and all of that, and, like, crying, and it's just like, yeah, I mean, characters' lives are insignificant in comparison to what's actually just happening right right around the corner from them. Yeah. And so, and, like, even, um, what's his face? Uh, Adrian Brody. He's just like, now, please tell him that I tried. Like, like, it's important to me that he knows that I tried. It's like, okay. Like, I get it. Like, you want to be supportive, but also it's like, it's still about you in a weird way. Like, I want him to know that I I tried my best. And the the kid slipped. Uh, Yeah, I see that. I I think I was a little bit more charitable with that, but there was that sense also of what you're saying of, like, I think maybe they understand that. Uh, I'm being charitable too, but, like, (laughs) there are those cuts where it's just like, you see our characters, it's like, 
they're haunted, of course, too, but they're getting to just sit down and relax and have a drink and do the flowers and say, hey, just let them know that I did try and then cut to the dad in a, like, a fucking grief-stricken movie of his own. Yeah, like rubbing oil on the body. Yeah, and yeah. like <laughs> just somber sadness as he's just lost one of his kids, one of the kids that, as you described, Owen Wilson was like, those fuckers. <laughs> <laughs> so, again, showing the, the Americans coming in being like, oh, it's about me. And there's like, no, guys, it's not about you. That's what I'm saying. Like, I would rather have watched a movie about the dad where, like, you know, at the beginning it was like, you want to watch a movie about Bill... Like, you're led to believe you're going to watch a movie about Bill Murray. Like, oh, it's Bill Murray. And he's running and he's got this, like, sense of importance and then Adrian Brody <laughs> takes the movie away from him. There's that part of me is like, please don't take it away from this dad. I want to spend more time with him. <laughs> I do when the film began, because I remembered it was about three guys and none of them were Bill Murray. I was like, <laughs> what was his role in the film again? What, <laughs> Looking really what does, sad. What does he serve for this? And then <laughs> you just forget about it. And then when he showed up again later on in the film, I was like, oh, yeah. Outside of Intolerable Cruelty, is this one of the best movie openings ever? Because I love the... Like, as much as I have dis- have had disdain for this, I've always loved that opening with Bill Murray, where you're led to believe that Bill Murray's going to be this character, and then he's <laughs> not. I adore the opening. Like, the slow motion, the music, him throwing the things, looking back at Bill Murray, and Bill Murray, like, accepting defeat <laughs> as he goes along, <laughs> and then you just proceed to follow age. Like, it's a great character introduction to the actual like to adrian brody into the actual story where yeah. it's like oh you think this is important nah this is what's really important it, it does make it have that sense of mystery and urgency of why you are following these people why did the film mislead you to begin with and it even introduces the whole idea of like you know chasing the train after it's started dis- like mm-hmm. leaving mm-hmm. and it happens a few times throughout the film and even the payoff to the film at the end is a variation on it. It's a nice motif. Yeah. Um, any particular scene that stood out to you on this watch? Um, well, the the scene where, I mean, it's a sequence, I guess, because it's multiple scenes. That's fine. But all, all the stuff, like, between, you know, the child dying and them leaving that village after the funeral, like, there was a lot of stuff there where... Other than the flashback, you know, it was very low on dialogue. That's really mm. where you're getting a lot of the feeling from the film, you know, even from Ifan Khan, because mm. in his first little shot where he's like yelling, you know, Mukesh, Mukesh, my son, something like that, that's like the only time we hear him mm. speak. Um, progression throughout that is, you know, he's in the, he's rubbing the oil on the body, very sad and somber, like you were saying. Uh, they were washing up after the funeral and like mm. he tripped over. It's like, oh man, this guy. He's, oh, like he faints in the water. Yeah, he, yeah. he seemed very composed after a lot of the times after we saw him, you know, after he saw that the son died. Um, but shows, yeah, he's still suffering. And then his last scene where he's just among the crowd praying for them as they're leaving on the bus, it's like, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, another character would, you know, might have a whole story about trying to get revenge on the guy who failed to save his son, but he's... And it mirrors nicely where our main characters are at too, because... They seem composed, but they're still grieving for the mm. loss of their father, and he's still grieving for the loss of their son, and hopefully he will find some sort of peace over time, as our characters are hopefully going to find peace mm. after this. Yeah, but even with that sequence, like I've been talking about Earphone Khan, but the main characters themselves, too. I remember when it happened that it cut back to the past, when they're at the mm. funeral, 
it threw me off at first because I didn't know what was going on. But then once it ended, it all just like clicked together. Like the, the funeral for their father, this big event that we've been you know learning about throughout the film. It's a big mm. deal. Our father's dead. Oh, did he really say you were the favorite? You got father's things. He wouldn't like that, that kind of thing. Yeah. A lot of reverence for the father, but then for their funeral, they have these really weird sentiments where it's like, oh, we want to drive the car to his funeral. Uh-huh. It has to be the car. No, this isn't working out. Oh, we're not going to make Owen, it in time. Oh, Owen Wilson is begrudgingly doing it out of the benefit, like out of the love of his two younger brothers, but he's not interested in doing Like that's something too yeah. that I really like. Like he's the one that actually just wants to do the funeral fucking normally, like just attend it. And then you have these two dumbass brothers who are trying to do their own thing. That's slowing them down. And then the news that the mum's not even coming again, furthering why it's like Owen Wilson is like, seemingly the sane man in a world of uh, like apathetic or crazy people like grief like really Mm. bizarre and he's just like oh god yeah but he's still trying to be a good person being like okay you know we'll do it your way guys we'll get the car and yeah we have this reveal that like oh the funeral for their father like they might not have even made it for it yeah it it almost seemed you know like spinning in the face of what the characters are later on and then Mm cut back to them, like, at the funeral of the young boy. Yeah. You know, the different environment, like, Indian background. They're wearing the the single-coloured, like, clothing. How much they've physically changed. They've physically changed. They're very quiet. And Mm. it's like, oh, now they're in this very unfamiliar thing to something that's very unfamiliar to them, and there's a lot more reverence going on here with these guys. And it was just like, ooh, that was a really good moment when it cut back to them i loved the flashback because uh, to give the film even more credit is it's gotten you comfortable in the stress of the film the kind of stressful nature of the comedy where you have people like oh no they're gonna miss the train and oh no there's a snake here and oh no there's pepper spray and they stole his shoe and there's always like this anxiety and stress and kind of people talking over each other and yelling and, and, and music's always playing, always playing and like lots of noise, lots of ah, and it's funny, kind of like a lot of old school comedies, like Wes Anderson always has like a old school vaudevillian sense of humor to me where like physical comedy is very big in his world, such as, uh, when they are fighting each other, kind of how pathetic it is when they fight each other, how silly it is. Or when like, they're running through the train, it's like, mm, oh god, these are children. Or like when Owen Wilson gets hit with the belt in the face. Uh, was it the belt? Or like he gets hit in the yeah, face, the belt, and yeah. then the nose starts bleeding like profusely, very quickly, and then he instantly goes to violence. It's very funny. But then you get to the flashback, and it's got all of those stresses. But. It's you know you can still find it amusing, but I was genuinely like stressed out in that scene. I was like, oh god, just leave the car, God Owen, don't lie to them. Like I was just getting like I was genuinely feeling mm. that those emotions outside of it finding finding what has been traditionally presented to us as comedic beats, comedic movements and techniques of the film in this sequence where it's like, they're not really telling jokes or anything. They're just doing those silly things we've seen them do, but we now have the context of they're running late to their father's funeral. And it's actually kind of sad. Like there's that moment where they pull out the car and they nearly get hit by that guy. And then they just threaten that guy. And the guy genuinely is frightened of them and gets back 
working. Mm. And it's like, that's kind of funny, but it's also kind of sad uh, or scary. And it's like, oh, God, these are our guys yeah. that we've been following. That These were who these people were and, and all of that. And that sequence, like Owen Wilson with his hair slicked back and it's darker than I usually see it as well. He usually has like bright, like yeah, real light yeah. blonde hair. And it's just like, God, these guys are just these really, really sad people who are just clinging to the little things to make themselves feel good. And then you get the phone call about the mum's not even bothering to come. Yeah, and you, you're like, oh, and they're on the journey to go see her. Okay, yeah, okay, great. You mentioned like their, their appearances and how different they were there. I remember when the initial cut happened like to the past, uh, Jason Schwartzman really threw me off because he- No mustache. No mustache, but also the hair was shorter. You mm-hmm. saw more of his face. And you know, throughout the film, I was looking at him, uh, kind of reminded me of some of the- some of the, the, the hair that I used to have when it was a bit mm. longer, you know, like you don't see him as much. He's described as the lone wolf. He he does feel like kind of the odd one out in the group, much quieter, a bit more submissive among them. Um, but yeah, just seeing more of him there. And then he was joining in that, like that aggression to the guy behind mm. them. It was like, yeah, these guys were a lot different back here. Yeah. The, and the fact that they are a little bit more defeated in the present, you know, mm. really is highlighted. Yeah. Though the, you describing that whole flashback thing as like being, you know, stressful or thing or something like that. Yeah. I, I was definitely appreciating it more after it ended and thinking back on it. It's like, oh man, there was a lot of things going on there that's really a lot more poignant. And again, even little quiet moments like the dad never read his book. It was still wrapped up. Mm. And so I was like, oh. And they were like, oh, well, you know sure it's fine and then you get that quick shot where he opens it and it's clearly dedicated to the father mm. the initials and then you get the, the the suitcases that we've seen throughout the movie have the initials i was like oh, so, oh okay and they get the suitcase out of the car and all of that like there's there's nice little touches that are answering questions that you maybe had or in turn uh, subconsciously had throughout the runtime of the movie it was a nice sequence it was very and it really it really set us in alignment with our characters because again like I'm not in love with them, but like it did make me like them more because they are selfish and they are Americans intruding upon a different culture for their own sense of purpose and drive. And having that there really grounds us to them and kind of gives us more of a humanity, more of a humanity to people who, for the most part, are presented as cartoony in a lot of ways like mm. them always drinking the drugs at the table yeah, okay, drug. yeah. like you know Fair like, enough, yes. or screaming yeah. at the germans or throwing rocks at the train like instantly like oh okay fuck you then and there's really like mm. especially like and no offense but owen wilson naturally is going to have to break through as an actor past the cartoony persona he has he has a cartoony voice and a cartoony look as an actor it's unfortunate to say, but he naturally, like, he always has to work harder to break past the, oh, wow. Mm. And he does that here. And that sequence really does a marvelous job of helping us ground them and make them fully fledged characters that you believe in 100% if you hadn't already. That's the thing. Like, that's the final moment, really, where it's just like, this is the time where you're going to really believe these guys as people. And then throughout the rest, if you haven't bought it, you're never going to. Mm. And I did buy it. Like, again, I, 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 uh, for some reason, it just doesn't hit as hard as other Wes Anderson movies for me. But it's no longer, like, my least favorite. I think I like this way more than Isle of Dogs. Isle of Dogs was just... 
And I think this is a part of it too. You, you haven't encountered is Wes Anderson. Yeah, I'm keen to know what the actual staples are. Wes Anderson, <laughs> other than like recurring actors. Yeah, Wes Anderson is known for kind of doing the same type of movies over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. He has very specific ways he writes dialogue. Women in his movies are often kind of less interesting than the males, if they're even in there sometimes. Mm-hmm. It depends. Sometimes he does and sometimes he doesn't. Like, again, like I always think of his movies having like male characters in them a lot more. Um, you know, and if the girls there, they're the girl, like how they are, and like there's a girl in this movie, the Indian girl, and then there's a girl for Adrian Brody, and then, you know, like they're just. I think the, one of the two reviews that I read mentioned that a lot of his uh, focus on upper-class white males. Is that true? His twee. Okay. You, you asked me what twee was once before, and I said, have you ever seen a Wes Anderson movie? Mm-hmm. They can be navel-gazing, is what people get, and his visual style, he's locked into it. And he will never change it. And that's the difference between him and someone like Tarantino. Where Tarantino has visual iconography things that you know, like he loves snap zooms, he loves all of these. But there is a difference from when you watch Reservoir Dogs to when you watch Inglorious Bastards. There's a difference between Inglorious Bastards visually and The Hateful Eight. There are some of those things he likes, like feet, but there are things that are visually like. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood visually has a lot of things that Tarantino does, but also very different. It doesn't feel like Kill Bill, for instance. But Wes Anderson, it's just like, you know you're watching a Wes Anderson movie every single frame. He is one of those guys where he's very showy. And I think that can be a distraction in many ways, especially if you're marathoning his movies. It's just like, I guess a part of the appeal too is, but it's also like a drawback is, how elaborate is he going to get? Like, how much is he going to make it? And as each film goes along, they become more of an artifice, more of you're looking at this wonderful diorama. You know that this is a set that they've... And you, like, literally, the, the Hotel. set will come apart. And yeah, they become more and more, like, calling back to old Hollywood tricks. And, like, it's very cool, but, like... Sometimes you just wish that a filmmaker could be more versatile and dynamic, while he is very much like, I know my style, I'm just going to keep exploring this one corner Mm -hmm. and explore every inch of it and see what I can do. And it's like, after 25 years, you kind of wish that Bottle Rocket, one of his first films, didn't look pretty similar to his newest film, The French Dispatch, except for The French Dispatch has way more famous actors in it and it just more elaborate like set work but like there's very like he loves these type of shots like um you know what i'm talking about there are those directors where it's just like okay you've seen one of their films you kind of got the vibe of all of them but that's kind of like the pigeonholing but like i like wes but sometimes i have that problem like wes i need you to shake it up because also like he loves writing coming of age stories a lot whether it is coming of age of a child coming of age of middle-aged people like he loves just like these self-exploration-y type movies but like you're never gonna see and a lot of these auteur directors like tarantino as well get this where it's like you're never gonna see them explore blah 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 genre they're never capable of doing it I mean, that's why I like Martin Scorsese in a lot of ways, but it's like people always say Martin Scorsese is like a gangster director, but like 
the guy did silence for fuck's sake the the catholic film of all time with liam neeson and uh Andrew Garfield and all that that came out a few years ago. Did anyone see it? No, not really, because it's like, who wants to see his boring religious film? But, like, that was different to Goodfellas. The guy also did The Aviator, which is different to Shutter Island. Like, he's a pretty versatile director, but you know you're watching a Scorsese film because he just has certain ways. But, yeah, I think it's just, like you said, the auteur is always a drawback Mm. for auteur because there's that level of, like, well, you always know you're watching a Wes Anderson film. You can put, you can probably much more easier, you know, point to a specific person when you see a flaw, I guess, too, yeah. Right. Like and you said with the feet with Tarantino. It's like, like, well, we know why the dirty feet were there then. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he often explores white people privilege problems, like, God forbid, you know, like, God forbid if Wes Anderson ever tried to make a movie with, like, about black people. <laughs> okay. That's Spike Lee's territory. And you see, there's another one, Spike Lee. He, he's often, he's a very strong auteur. He has his certain things he likes to hit, and he does them in his way. And um, people have a love-hate relationship with him. There's always a drawback to the auteur thing, because, like, sometimes you go to a movie because you're like, oh, I know that movie's going to be what I need it to be, because it's a... You know, it's a Paul Thomas Anderson movie, or it's a Wes Anderson movie, or Paul W.S. Anderson movie. I'm going to go with all the Andersons, bing, bing, bing. But then that's also, like, for some people, that's a bad thing. Like, I don't like this director, so I don't need to see it, because they're never going to change my opinion, because they aren't changing. Mm. Like, people, there are some people who hate Tarantino movies because of shit like their feet. It's like, you know he's going to do that. You know he's going to have some fucking pop culture dialogue that doesn't need to be here, but he likes it and he wants you to know that he's read Superman or stuff like that, right? Or we, we just before recording, we're talking about Metal Gear Solid. People love or hate Kojima games and, you know, it's yeah, like, there, are you on board for all the weird pervy shit or all the, the, the need to go through every excruciating need for exposition on how this gun works and the CIA made this, you know, and you're smiling because it's like that's endearing I'm to thinking, us. Yeah, I'm thinking because I know you're going to play Metal Gear Solid 3 soon. I'm just wondering how many times you're going to call Sigurd. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. right. And um, But that's endearing to us. But how many people isn't it endearing to? Many. There, Even beyond Kojima, with me, there's a lot of Japanese game directors who I often go to their stuff because like, oh, I know... I know their stuff. I really like their stuff. Like Suda51 loves wrestling, tigers, the moon. Assassins, Assassins. briefcases, <laughs> hotels. Uh, yeah. A lot Cats. Of, yeah. Like, even a few weeks ago, I replayed three of his oldest games because I'm like, oh, I really want to go back to the world of Suda51, like, mm-hmm. back when it was, like, pure story. <laughs> yeah, right. And so... And so that's kind of like what the Wes Anderson-y thing is. He just falls in a lot of the traps like you have with any really detailed voice, where it's just like once you pick up their little things, you're either in love with them or you're not. And I'm, I've just been in that middle zone where it's like I'm kind of growing tired of it, but also like, damn, I love some of his movies a lot. So, you know, it's that type of thing where it's just like you are never going to see Wes Anderson make something like Zodiac. Because that's what David Fincher would make. And see, David Fincher, he makes David Fincher movies. Like, David Fincher movies are always, like, dark brooding. You're never going to see David Fincher just walk in and make a rom-com any day. Because he's not going to do that. He's going to make some creepy serial killer movie or some fucked up psychological horror about, like, my wife disappeared and everyone thinks I murdered her. 
because I'm Ben Affleck and nobody trusts me. And but my lawyers, Tyler Perry, you know that type of deal. Mm-hmm. Um, what a year for movies that was too. I mean, I think Gone Girl came out around that time too. 2014, I think so. 2014 was a marvelous year. We got Whiplash. Mm-hmm. There's another one. Guy who did Whiplash. It's like it will always be about some fucking white guy with music problems. <laughs> I mean, I think that's like two of his films, maybe three. At Who's this the point. Whiplash guy? Um, Dame, Damien Chazelle. He did La La Land. Okay. The Emma Stone winning La La Land. Yes, Emma Stone Best Picture winner. Best Picture, and she did win Best Actress, so there you go. Coincidentally. Uh, uh, And then he did the one about Neil Armstrong that nobody watched called First Man. He also did that and nobody watched it. (laughs) Because everyone keeps talking about, like, this guy only makes movies about white guys with music problems. It's like, he did, he did the one about the guy who went to space. I didn't see that one. It wasn't about music problems. Like, oh, there you go. (laughs) Um... I love Angelica Houston as their mother mm. in this. I love Angelica Houston as an actress. She's a she's she's nepotism as well. Her dad was John Houston, the famous film director, who directed many classics such as The Maltese Falcon. Mm. He heard about people's problems a lot. He was the villain in uh, Chinatown. The famous Jack Nicholson Chinatown. Mm-hmm. Jack Nicholson, oh, Jason Schwartman's character named after that, mm-hmm, brought mm-hmm. around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Angelica Houston, obviously many people know her of our age as uh, Morticia Adams in the Adams Family films. Okay, uh, again, I've only seen the cartoon in the 60s show. Oh, well, there you go. Well, you've missed her now. She's pretty great. Mm. Um, and she's done so much. But uh, I loved her here. It was great to see her. She's in the new John Wick movies now for some reason, and I love that too. Yeah, I, li- I liked how you already mentioned it, like the fact that we realize Owen Wilson follows along, you know, her, her personality in a way. Mm. Seeing her doing a lot of the Owen, well, not, not like the super Owen Wilsonisms, but the character that he plays in the film. Yes. Especially like the, oh, you know, I'll, you'll eat this, you'll eat this, you'll eat this, all good. Right, right. That, yeah, that yeah. especially got me. Yes, yes. I thought that was wonderful. And I loved how everything she said in the letter was true. Like, there's a man-eating tiger. It's like, well, explain this. <laughs> and then they walk over, there's this poor prince. And then they're like, yeah, and this sister, her brother died. And they're like, oh, yeah, no, no, that's not funny. That's real. And they're like, oh, okay. This was this was a comedy from where I didn't laugh out loud very much, but that one did get me. That, that was, <laughs> the tiger thing. That was very amusing to me. And I love that we got a shot of the tiger as we're transitioning to all these people that have been mentioned <laughs> or a part of the story. Oh, well, we've got to talk about the most important character in the film. We've already talked about Bill Murray. We didn't talk about the most important character. Undervalued Brendan. Mm. You nodded. You're like, mm, Brendan. Now, do you know do you know anything about this actor? Um, he looked familiar, but no, I don't think so. What was his name? Uh, oh, he has a great name. It's like Wally Wodolski or something. Yeah. So the most- that last name looked familiar. So the interesting thing to note about him is he was, he's only done a few acting things, mainly Wes Anderson things. Okay. Would you be surprised? Uh, he was in uh, Grand Budapest Hotel, even. Mm-hmm. He had a small role in that. He's a writer. Uh, he's written numerous kind of like, not the greatest films, but he wrote for The Simpsons for a period of time. Mm-hmm. A fun fact about him is, what character from The Simpsons do you think is based on him? Character based on him? Yes. Um, I know. I read this and I'm like, really? He has a character based on him? And then I was like, Bocking and like, what character would it be? And I'm thinking of what he looks like here, which is the opposite of what you should think of. Think of a character with hair for a start. 
Marge Simpson. <laughs> Mm-mm. For some reason, my mind is going to Gil, but that doesn't feel right. Oh, I wish it was Gil. Gil is based on uh, Jack Lemmon, mm-hmm. the famous actor, and his character from Glengarry Glen Ross, which we should watch one day with Alec Baldwin, the famous Alec Baldwin, who gives one of the greatest performances of his life. Um, he's fantastic in that. No, uh, he is the inspiration for Otto. Otto Man? Mm-hmm. Our bus driver, right? Really? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yes, apparently. I don't know the context. It just says that on IMDb. Like, when he was working on The Simpsons, he he was the inspiration for the character of Otto. And I'm just looking at this fucking bald-headed dickhead in this movie that everyone treats like shit. And I'm like, (laughs) you know, in his profile picture, he has, like, long hair. But um, I just laughed at that. I was like, Brendan is Otto. And I was looking at it throughout this whole movie, being like, he's Otto. I do not see. It must be something esoteric. Must be how he talks in real life back then, right? I wonder if he was, like, in real life back in, was it, the 80s when The Simpsons started? If he was, like, hey, it's me, that guy. You know, like, I'm doing Jack Nicholson for some reason. but you know, West that, man. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe he was, like, the, the party on dudes. You know, the party guy. Because Otto's got that thing. He's always jamming out the music. And I don't know. It's crazy. Bit of a tangent about Otto. You know the... Crash Team Racing Nitro Fueled game. Yes. How it's a remake of Crash Team Racing. Does it have The Simpsons in it for some reason? For for some reason, because when you do the story mode, you know, whichever faction your character is, you know, the tutorial mask will be different. It'll either be Aku Aku or Uka Uka. Mm. For some reason in that game, Uka Uka sounds like Otto. <laughs> it's so completely jarring, especially when you remember that this used to be Clancy Brown. Oh, that's amusing. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, uh, okay. Anything else you want to talk about or hit upon before we wrap this out? Um, I feel very good that we had this uh, discussion because I was like, oh, I'm worried I'm going to be shitting on this, but I'm no, just chilling, talking about it, you know, some positives. Like, like I said, like my negatives aren't necessarily pinpointable. Like I can't go like this sucked and here's objectively why. It's more just, I didn't vibe with the film entirely. And that's the thing. Wes Anderson is also like, you have to vibe with his films. Like, his movies have a real aesthetic and energy to them. And you just, like you said, you have to be on board for them. It's kind of hard to define Maybe. why you can't be. Because it's like, well, Ryan, it works like this. Don't you see? Story, story, story. Writing, writing. Don't you get it? It's like, I get it. You just, I didn't yeah. love it as much. Like, again, Grand Budapest and Life Aquatic are probably my two go-tos if I had to go, like, Watch a Wes Anderson film. I think you saying the word vibe is, yeah, putting into perspective a bit more. Like, earlier when you were saying, you know, feel-good film, I was like, that doesn't really sound right. I think vibe maybe would be a bit more accurate to my enjoyment of the film. Like, I was vibing with it, I guess. Yeah, like how I vibe with Nicholas Winding Refn movies. Yeah. Uh, Anything else? Any moments, scenes, characters, beats? Or are we good to recommend? Um... I liked the, the the scene early on. It was when they went to the marketplace and, you know, you cut between them all, like, going to different shops. Mm-hmm. Like, the way they were acting there. It felt very... Because I've been to India. It did kind of feel like that when I was there. You know, there was a bit more sociability um, between me, the Western tourists, and the Indians there. Like, mm. a, a, a bit, bit after that, when they're on... I, th- I think they're in, like, a taxi or a car of some sort, and I think Adrian Brody or or maybe it was Jason Schwartzman is, like, smoking outside of a car, mm. and there's someone just on the bike behind them, like, 
you know, just greeting them and they shake hands. I'm like, that reminds me so much of my experience when I was in India. Like they mm. were just so friendly and open to me. And I remember, I remember when Did I- they steal your shoes though? They didn't steal my shoes. No, I, I didn't let them go anywhere near my shoes. Oh. Um, but would you have let them go near your shoes? Well, yeah, I, I mean, I would have seen this film at that point, so it would have been in my subconscious, I guess. But yeah, I remember when I came back from it, I think I might have told this story in the podcast. Um, it was like two days after Christmas that year, so what, December 27, 2011 or something like that. Um, I was going to go see Tintin with my friends at the cinema <laughs> in Hoyts in, in Chadston. Um, the old... Cinema and Chadston, no longer there. Yeah. Got a new one. It's not as cool. Yeah, not as cool. Um, and, you know, it's it's a big shopping mall, a lot of foot traffic there, and everyone was really just keeping to themselves, being very quiet. I'm like, this is a huge, huge, like, culture shock for me, going mm. from India where, like, everyone was saying hi to me. I gave someone a 20-cent coin. I'm like, here's a little Australian trinket for you. Aww. Um that was Bartek's way of saying thank you. Yeah, I exchanged emails with them. They never emailed me. Did you email them? Oh, no, I th- I gave them my email. They didn't give me theirs, so wow. the onus was on them. I gave them 20 cents. <laughs> Not to pay them, but like... So you came away <laughs> from your trip to India with a refreshing experience of like, wow, what a warm, welcoming culture. To then come yeah. back to Australia where we're cold... And isolated, and don't want people to look at us yeah, or very, engage with us. Yeah, it was very normal to don't, me. Don't you look at me, Bartek, when I'm walking mm. to the movies. And I think I do remember, like, in the lead-up to, um, like, us going on the trip, there were all these promises of, like, oh, yeah, you're going to feel like this when you're there. You know, you, you, when you have a cold shower there, it's going to be the most refreshing thing ever. And I didn't really find that. Um, it, it, it was very much a trip that, for the most part was what I was expecting, and I was happy with that. But, yeah, the warm reception was the really big highlight. I won't name names, but I had a housemate that, uh, when I was living in share house situations, who went to India, mm-hmm. and they came back a changed person. They had a, oh, they were like a, a bad time. Yes, they had yeah. a bad time in India, and, they wouldn't, and they, uh, we never found out what went wrong. But before, it was like wonderful living with them, having a great time i remember like literally like a day before they were traveling we were sitting in the lounge room just chilling talking about how great life is and when they came back from india like literally when they came driving through our driveway it was like rage and anger and they were just never the same and they were like i was like what went wrong and they're like i can't talk about it you weren't there i had you just had a really really bad time in india and i'm like what went wrong and i never got to find out so I'm like got these two coins, like oh, this coin with two sides of India. If I ever went there, which one would I come back as? <laughs> you, who's like God, Australia? Come on, guys, talk to each other and be friends, or be like, fuck off, leave me alone. Well, maybe I'm angry now. Well, I went to South India. Maybe he didn't, and it was oh, different. is letting Indian listeners know South India. Hey, South Indian listeners, uh, fun to come. Whatever that means. <laughs> Whatever that means. And once this episode is done, pakalam. Uh, so, do you recommend Darjeeling Limited? Uh, I think I do. I think definitely if you're one to vibe with a film, this is one to vibe with, to use the word that you've introduced here. Um, there is a lot of stuff to, yeah, look into. I do think you do need a... 
again, I said this was kind of like the danger of the talking about the film. Not so much fill in the blanks yourself or make excuses for the film, but I think, yeah, it just goes back to the vibing with the film. Uh, I recommend it as well. I think it's an easy gateway into Wes, but I think if you're wanting a first sampler, Life Aquatic is a great one to go to, or Moonrise Kingdom is pretty wonderful. And of course... Uh, we've said a lot. Grand Budapest Hotel is just such a fun one. That was one too. a great film. Uh, although I think Alex from the Contrarians hates it with a fiery passion. So okay. it depends your sensibilities. <laughs> so uh, I think he hates Wes Anderson a lot. Okay. But I think he flags up Grand Budapest as like his kryptonite of Wes. Okay. Well, so, he's American. He understands it. Yeah, he's a Texan boy. Whatever's we, happening this, over this there. Remind, reminded to everyone, Hollywood films are foreign to us. Yeah, every film, except for our own, is foreign. Hence, I'm going to recommend a local film for the next episode, if you're ready to hear. I hope it's in the Melbourne suburbs. Oh, well, maybe. <laughs> Rumpa Stumper 2, Electric Boogaloo. Uh, no, I'm recommending, I'm going back to the Mad Max world. Oh. Mad Max 2, The Road Warrior. Ooh. Uh, we've talked about the first Mad Max but uh, we haven't talked about the others, so I'm wanting to come back. I'm in the mood. We talked about Mel Gibson earlier in this episode, so what a what a timely way to bring it all back together. This will be a fun little little romp because um, what once was the most acclaimed Mad Max movie before Fury Road, this was the go-to Mad Max film, and Fury Road in a lot of ways is kind of a can I do Road Warrior but even better. So I'll be interested to hear your takes, Bartek, as a first-time viewer of The Road Warrior to see if it holds up and what you think of it, and especially as a follow-up to the previous film that we've watched because, you know, it has it has some continuity. Not always, but I, some. I, I will be the final authority on whether that film holds up or not. And I'm, I'm keen to hear your opinion of, of uh, the dog in the movie. There's a dog in the movie, and... Um, Many people have a lot of opinions about the dog. Okay, so but Fifi's keen... not in the film, is he? Was that his name, Fifi? Well, yeah, I mean, no, he's not in the movie. He's still, and he, that's, um, he's still the eter- biggest tragedy he's of the entire franchise. He's eternally waiting for uh, Max to come back from his hot vacation. That's how the next Mad Max movie will end, with Max coming back and Fifi being like, <laughs> you're coming back! Look how big the plants have grown. My lad, you came back after. <laughs> Let me tell you what you missed out on, Sonny. We went through an apocalypse. <laughs> and Max's like, I know. And he's like, well, let me tell you some more stuff about what I went up to. And then we get a whole trilogy of his <laughs> romps. I'd watch that. But uh, no, Mad Max 2, The Road Warrior. So The Road Warrior. Get into it. Uh, drink some guzzoline and have some fun. Uh, until then, make sure to follow us on the social medias of Facebook and Twitter at Spit and Polish Presents, and you can email us directly at spitandpolished at gmail.com. All of this is in the description of the episode, as well as uh, the various uh, sites that we're on, such as your Spotify's, your Apple's, all of that. You can rate and review us on whichever podcatcher you use. It would be uh, awesome if you did that. Uh, I've got nothing else to say. 
How about you, Bartek? Do you have anything else to say? Any wise words for us? Or you just want to be like Angelica Houston and just solemnly look at each other to understand where we're at? When you were talking about the Road Warrior before, you were going to say a J word? Something about like, oh, it's going to be a fine J, and then you said something else? Mm. Were you going to say Jew? <laughs> no, I wasn't. I don't know what I was going to say. I don't know, man. I'm going to ask Mel Gibson what he thought. Okay, Mel, he'll be on next episode and we'll find out what he has to say about the Jews. <laughs> For anyone who don't remember, Ryan was just trying to say the word journey, but he's thought of a different word. <laughs> just, to, just to calm everyone down at the end of the episode. <laughs>